0: I know that you wish the work was done, and you, with everyone you have ever loved, were on a distant shore, safe and unafraid. But remember this, as tired as you are, you are not alone. Here and here and here also, there are others weeping and rising and gathering their courage. You belong to them, and they to you. Let us worship together. I'm Reverend Bob Lavalley. I'm the associate minister here, and I'm so glad to be here with our intern minister, Kristen Famula. Our worship leader today is Kristen Satterly, and our DJ is Arnie gola Our tech team is Chris Paul, who is making his final appearance as tech arts director, and Michaela Renz whitmore and Barry Clark, who is from our branch congregation in Socorro. So glad to have everybody here. So grateful for your role in co-creating worship. Reverend Angela has this Sunday off. We love to see where people are dialing in from. So if you're visiting, put your name and location in the chat so we can say, hey. And Kristen Satterly has a couple of announcements for us.
1: Good morning. Join us after the service today for Virtual Connection Sunday. You will be able to visit 25 different breakout rooms to learn about how to connect with some of the many groups in the church and get involved. Connection Sunday will take place in a separate Zoom room from this one. Just click on the link that we'll put in the chat at the end of the service to join in. And next Sunday, September 18th, people of all ages are encouraged to join us at 10.15 a.m. in the courtyard of the physical church for a backpack blessing. Children and youth will receive a charm. Bring your backpack computer bag briefcase or whatever represents your work or learning to receive a special blessing. If you have a chalice or candle set up this morning, please join us as we light our congregational chalice. In gratitude for the light and warmth of this beautiful community for all the small things that sustain each of us and for the love that brings us together across time and space.
2: No matter who you are You gotta love yourself Love yourself Just the way you are Right now Love yourself Love yourself You may have been a bad misunderstood by your own kind. You may doubt your own mind, but never doubt love. And soon you'll find you and not you're all you kind. No matter who you are, you got to love yourself. Love yourself just the way you are. not feel a fit in the skin that you're born with, but your soul fits you just right, the soul you're born with. gotta keep your soul inside, let love hold you tight, and whenever change comes you'll be ready if you love yourself. No matter who you are, yourself, love yourself Just the way you are right now Love yourself, love yourself Love never quits, love never gives up Love never dies, love Never quits love, never gives up love, never dies, love.
3: We are Unitarian, we are universalists.
2: We are people of faith with
3: open minds, loving hearts and helping hands.
4: Good morning, I'm Mia Norin, the Director of Religious Education for children and youth here at First Unitarian. And I have a wisdom story to share with you this morning. This true story from Sudan emphasizes the power of generosity and offers insight into the culture of generosity that continues to thrive there to this day, where generosity is tightly tied to honor. About 200 years ago in Sudan, a man named Ote lived far off in the countryside. He lived there with his wife, his seven sons, their wives, his nine daughters and their husbands, plus 63 of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren, some of whom were married. The family on its own was an entire village. Life was good for Ate and all his offspring. They were able to grow or hunt the food they needed. Water in the river was plentiful, and there were trees and wood enough to build and heat their homes. Now and then, they traveled the long road into the city to trade some of their goods for treats like sugar or ready-made cloth, but mostly they stayed home and enjoyed life there. The village was situated next to the river and far from the caravan road. It was very rare for visitors to come by, but one day Not far from the village, a caravan of a dozen merchants lost their way. Many days passed as the men wandered about. The forest was dense, and they couldn't tell where to go. Sometimes they'd circle back to where they'd been before. They were growing increasingly worried. Finally, very early one morning, the merchants awoke to the sound of roosters crowing. Oh, it was at some distance and like music to their ears. They saddled up their camels and loaded their belongings as quickly as they could. By the time they mounted, they could hear the faint sound of dogs barking. More music. They moved toward the sounds. By sunrise, they could see faint lines of smoke rising into the sky. It could only be a village. They urged their camels on. When at last they arrived in the village, they were met by several young men. The men were smiling and welcomed them warmly. They guided the merchants into a yard where they tied the camels and offered them grass, grain and water. The merchants were invited into another yard and welcomed by an elderly man, none other than Atay. He joined 12 young men in offering karama to each of the merchants. In Sudan, karama is the traditional offering given as thanks to Allah for a wedding celebration, the birth of a child or the return of a loved one who has been gone a long time. It is also the traditional offering to a guest. In the old days, as in this story, Karama was a sheep that was slaughtered to feed the guest or for Allah to feed the poor. Today, it is still often a sheep, but it might also be some other kind of food like cooked millet or sorghum. Atay and his family offered Karama to each and every one of the 12 merchants in the form of 12 sheep. According to tradition, the merchants each jumped over their Karama sheep. After that, the feasting and celebrations began. The merchants, their guests, shared food and stories and songs, praising and glorifying Allah and the prophet, peace be upon him. The villagers made the merchants feel at home and welcomed the stay for several days until they and their camels were well rested. When at last the merchants were ready to resume their journey, they offered Atay gifts. He refused. The name Ate means giver, and it was his honor and privilege to be able to host the merchants. He invited them to return again and bring other guests with them. The merchants were appreciative of the fine treatment they had received from Ate and his family. As they continued their travels, they spoke highly of the experience. They remembered the standing invitation, and within the year, they returned with more men. Their reception was as warm and as generous as it had been the first time. After that, stories of Ate and his family spread like fire in dry grass. Anyone traveling along the caravan road turned off to visit. Year after year, more and more people came. Finally, the stream of visitors was so frequent that the route to Ate's village became more visible and distinct than the main caravan road. The former route all but disappeared. The village of Atay came to be known as the most important station along the caravan route. All who stopped were served with the same generosity as the first visiting merchants. All the food and any supplies they needed, a room to sleep and care for their camels were provided at no cost. Atay came to be called Awak Adarib, the one who bent the road. His story is shared to this day in Sudan. The Sudanese continue to offer the same kind of generosity to strangers. I wonder how many roads have been bent in this way and whether we might be able to bend one too.
3: Let's pause the chat for a few moments now for our meditation time. Give yourself permission to settle for the next few moments. I invite you to take a deep breath and begin to feel your body relax. Feel yourself sink more fully with each breath, knowing you are held by the earth. With each breath, know you are held. I invite you to imagine that in your hands you are holding a droplet of water. You can move your hand slightly, and the droplet moves along the creases of your skin, along the bends and curves of your cupped fingers. The droplet magnifies your skin as it moves, it catches the light and occasionally your reflection. Sacred water. Let the droplet of water move off of your hand and into the earth, wetting the ground for a moment before returning to the same earth that is holding you. We continue in silence. each day
1: we add a page to the story of our lives at times those pages tell of gladness at other times of sorrow our stories are woven together when we support others in their moments of joy or sadness and they support us in ours these interwoven moments become part of the story of our community together please share your joys and concerns in the chat bar now as prompted by the video If you cannot share in the chat bar, we still want to hear from you. Contact us at caring at
3: uuabq.org. All these joys and gratitudes and sorrows we hold in a community of love in addition to all we just shared we pray for the family and friends of eric hall who died last week eric was a member here a few years ago before moving to tennessee to be a near family we hold his friends and family in our hearts We hold all these and all those unnamed in the light of healing and love and renewal. We lift up our young people today, beginning a renewed connection to this community through their religious education gatherings. How grateful we are to share in this lifelong learning with them. September 11th is a challenging day historically not only in the United States. On this day, let us hold gently the complex feelings surrounding transformative moments in our lives. May we be reminded that as humans, we can hold complicated and seemingly conflicting feelings. Let us honor those conflicting feelings with compassion. May we acknowledge the sadness that many feel over the loss of an important international figure this week. And may we simultaneously have the courage to voice important truths. May we recommit to changing systems and structures that oppress people and perpetuate violence. And today, let us give ourselves permission to hold anger and grief, if that's what's needed, compassion, and accountability. May we open ourselves to the full spectrum of feelings that remind us that we are human. May our connection with this community give us strength as we move through these days. Amen, blessed be, and peace be with you.
5: Every day is Everest Every
2: night is Paris Every time, Every time I kiss the angels while they sleep Every time I weep A beauty few will ever see
5: Friends who have been there wherever there may be Pour the pity out for
2: me as if cannot see, all the places I have not been, all the lives I will not live, all the things I cannot know, but I know this, that every day is Everest, every night is Paris, every time I kiss the angels while
5: they see. you will ever see
2: Possibilities, Possibilities are in Decisions on and on Become the destiny of a lifetime, lifetime. But the, the sun and moon and stars will shine Cast their magic wherever you find you If only you would see That every. Is Everest. Every, Every night is rest Every time I kiss kissing Is Everest. Everest. Every, every is Paris every, every time I kiss the angels one they see I weep, weep. The beauty, beauty few
5: will never see Every seen. day is Everest Every, every night is Paris
1: reading this morning is by Meg Wheatley from her book, Turning to One Another. There is no power greater than a community discovering what it cares about. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. Keep asking. Notice what you care about. Assume that many others share your dreams. Be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. Talk to people you know, talk to people you don't know, talk to people you never talk to. Be intrigued by the differences you hear, expect to be surprised, treasure curiosity more than certainty, invite in everybody who cares to work on what's possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something know that creative solutions come from new connections. Remember, you don't fear people whose story you know. Real listening always brings people closer together. Trust that meaningful conversations can change your world. Rely on human goodness. Stay together.
0: This summer, I spent some time with my family on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and while I was there, I had the opportunity to go up to Cambridge to the Harvard Divinity School and spend a little time in their archives. You may recall that Angela went to Harvard for her seminary training, and the archives there hold quite a bit of Unitarian and Universalist history. And I was there to learn about the history of this church, First Unitarian in Albuquerque. Specifically, I went to learn what I could about our first minister, Reverend Frank Smith. So the archives are Harvard at Harvard, Harvard being Harvard are deluxe and also very fussy. So to examine any materials you have to put in a request a week ahead of time. And then when you get there on your allotted date, they put you in a conference room with a view of a Gothic quad and they wheel in the files in their special archives boxes. Before you go in, you have to relinquish all your possessions, except for your electronics. No book bags, no pens, no water, nothing. They give you a paper, they give you paper and a Harvard Divinity School pencil for your use in the conference room. And it gets better. The conference room has a glass wall on one side and while you're sitting there, there's a staff person on the other side who's working on their computer, but they're also watching you. At one point, I was laying out the folders to start to review the materials, and the staff person burst in in a very friendly but firm manner, asked me to keep the folders in their original order. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, I spent a day at the archives reading the sermons of Reverend Frank Smith. Reverend Frank became the first minister ever at First Unitarian Albuquerque in 1952. And I believe he served until 1962. Although I could be wrong about that. So yeah, it's crazy. That's that was uh, 70 years ago. Anyways, he was a Lutheran minister who changed to Unitarian Unitarianism, and I would love to know the story behind that. So I read about I read through about 50 sermons of his from the 50s and 60s that day, and I learned a lot of how a lot of things have changed in the last 70 years. First of all, to be honest, the sermons were absolutely deadly, just so boring. They were all typed out, and it was clear that they were written to be essays, essays that a person read rather than heard. And I don't know how the congregation endured them, but maybe they were just more open to being lectured then. There were almost no stories at all in the sermons, And definitely no stories from Reverend Frank's personal life. And maybe that was the style of the day, or maybe in those days ministers were taught not to talk about their personal experiences, all possible. I don't know, but the effect is so intellectual and so dry. And I'm so glad that we don't preach like that anymore. And I'm gonna guess that most folks in this room are also glad. So I want to check out a a few titles of his sermons. So this gives you a flavor for the thing. Let's see. The Irrelevancy of Orthodoxy. The Cultural Goal of the United Nations. Renewing the Inward Man. Yep, there's plenty of gendered language. Here's another one. Man, an Interpretation. Sin, Society, Liberty, and Churches. Religion and the urbanization of man. Religious existentialism and Jesus. That would look great in the corner sign, don't you think? Religious existentialism and Jesus. Anyways, you get the idea. There was only one sermon I could find that was about the civil rights movement and it was written in 1961 which was the beginning of the Freedom Riders movement, and there had already been sit-ins at segregated lunch counters and so much more. So it wasn't like civil rights was unknown territory. And on that particular sermon, when I turned the typewritten pages over, I could see that Reverend Smith had written for Negro History Week on the back. Ugh. So we have a long ways to go as a faith tradition folks, but we've come a long way too. So let's take some credit for that. And I don't want to roast Reverend Smith too much. He was subject to the influences of of his time, and perhaps he wanted to preach in a more daring and personal way, but didn't think the congregation at the time would welcome that. Who knows? My point is that our style and our theologies have changed a lot in the short time that we've existed as a denomination. Theologies evolve and respond to the circumstances of our time, And that is a good thing. So we as Unitarian Universalists have an interesting challenge around theology. We don't tell folks to adopt a certain creed, spelling out what the divine is and who the creator was and what happens to us after we die. Folks can decide that for themselves. And that's great and liberating, but there's a downside. And I want to share from the thesis that Reverend John Morehouse wrote in 2015. He's the minister at the Unitarian Church in Westport, Connecticut. So Reverend John writes, Since the merger in 1961, Unitarian Universalism has struggled with articulating a common set of beliefs, much less a theology that would help, help ground us in a deeper meaning towards the good work we so often feel called to do. In large part, this is due to our denominational culture, of sanctifying individual beliefs above all others. Sanctifying individual beliefs above all others. I believe that such an emphasis on individual belief is outdated and misguided. While there is an attraction in discovering what each of us hold to be the most important, it is often as a reaction to what have, what we have been told was true by the religious authorities or our past. This tendency, now enshrined in our adult curriculum and membership materials, allows for easy intro, entry into our congregation, but does no more to challenge us to grow spiritually than signing the membership book. End a quote. How about that? So starting last August, a group of 17 or so curious and courageous members of this congregation gathered for four weekends to explore the possibility of creating a theology together. Now, some folks may be familiar with the old curriculum, Building Your Own Theology. That's a fine course. I did it myself when I became a UU back in the early 90s. And it can be really useful for folks who are trying to understand what they believe. But that curriculum can encourage people to create a laundry list of theologies and, and just stop there. And that keeps us thinking like individuals. That encourages a culture where people listen to sermons and hymns with an eye to critique, just watching for the places where they disagree with the text. I will also say that the, the Building Your Own Theology curriculum did very little to acknowledge power struggles and privilege, and the things that we have front and center here now as a denomination. So anyways, about the critique, believe me, I hear about those, (laughs) and it's okay to disagree with the text, but if it stops there, if there is no curiosity or compassion, then it's soul deadening. There is no growth in just saying, well, I figured it out for myself, and they got it wrong. We are at a place in our denomination where our old take on theology, that we're just a cluster of individuals who think our own things, that take no longer works. Our work now in this young faith tradition is to figure out how we create a shared theology. And I think this is vitally important, not only because it will help our churches become more vibrant and stronger, but because we are heading into a tough time, a more tough time, I believe that things will get worse before they get better. And the more deeply that we understand what it is that we cherish together, that we cherish together, the better able we'll be to protect the most vulnerable among us, the better able we'll be, will be to provide stability and chaos, and the better able we'll be at offering a vision to the larger community about how we can be together, in love. The people who participated in the creating theology class, t- t- creating theology together class started that work. And by that way, that curriculum is based on the work of Reverend John Morehouse, the person I just quoted. The participants at First You shared in deep and vulnerable ways, and they became a community within this larger community of First You. They explored how their life experiences influenced the theologies that they arrived at today. And they began the messy, unfinishable process, unfinishable process of finding a shared theology. Now that isn't possible in just four meetings, but we could see the beginnings of it. In seminary, we were told that theology is not something that we believe, but something that we do. We do theology. And I'm impressed by theologies that spur us to action. The beloved UU educator, Sophie Lyons-Foss said, some beliefs are like walled gardens. They encourage exclusiveness and the feeling of being privileged. Other beliefs are expansive and lead the way into wider and deeper sympathies. Mm, Pardon me. It's important to stay hydrated while you're preaching. I think of Liberation Theology, which is a a religious movement that arose in Roman Catholicism in the 60s and 70s and that was centered in Latin America. Priests on the ground there were seeing that the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church in Latin America were part of the same privileged class that was oppressing indigenous people. So these priests called for a theology that gave a preferential option to the poor. This was very unpopular with the Catholic establishment and the government's there, but it did make change, sometimes at great cost to the priests themselves. And I I wear my Oscar Romero soul today in his honor. He is a hero of mine. So any thought theology we undertake as a faith community needs to be lived, needs to be done. And I don't know what that will ultimately look like in its larger sense, but I do want to share some information about an information, about an initiative that the church is looking into that I hope is a reflection of our shared theology. So I noticed that some folks saw in the Albuquerque Journal this week, a story about a city council hearing concerning safe outdoor spaces. And I testified at that hearing, talking about the need to create alternatives to the unsanctioned, unsupervised encampments that currently exist all over the city. And in that testimony, I said that First Unitarian has applied to create such a space. So let me explain what's going on. Around two years ago, when the pandemic was raging, a group of politicians from the city and the county approached me about putting a tent encampment in our parking lot, which we were not using since we had closed our offices and were meeting online. And the encampment would be specifically for folks who did not have housing and who were diagnosed with COVID. At the time, the city was renting space at what they call wellness hotels for folks without housing who have medical conditions, and the, the city still runs that program. Then and now, the wellness hotels are hard to get into because of the overwhelming demand and the restrictions placed on who can stay there. I used to manage a homeless shelter in upstate New York. I worked at a day shelter in DC. Prior to becoming a minister, I was a nonprofit manager. I have a lot of experience running programs. So two years ago, as I was considering the quest for my community leaders and discussing it with Angela, although initially Angela was on sabbatical when I was first approached, I attended a meeting with Mayor Keller where he explicitly said, please don't do this. Eventually, Angela also received a call from someone very highly placed within the Keller administration asking that we not do that. And I think, like a lot of folks here, when someone tells me not to do something, you know how I'm going to react. But I gave it some serious, serious thought at the time. And as a seasoned nonprofit professional, I didn't think that the structures and supports were in place to do an encampment of that type at First Unitarian. If we were going to do it, I wanted to do it well. And in the chaos of the pandemic, I didn't see how we could. So between those considerations and the pressure from the city, we decided to pass. So fast forward to six months ago. For reasons that aren't clear to me, the mayor's office changed its stance on sanctioned encampments and introduced a bill to the city council to create the Safe Outdoor Space Program. I was approached by the city again about doing this and began to have conversations with Angela and our board chair Michaela renz whitmore about the viability of doing this. Because Michaela works for the city, we had to maintain healthy boundaries between her obligations to the city and to the church. But she does work in the planning department and she has some helpful insights and I'm grateful for them. I also spoke with potential partners who might assist with recruiting and screening residents and providing case management supports. I'm active in serving the unhoused community here in Albuquerque, so I have those connections already. Now, you may be aware that some folks on the city council are opposed to this idea. And I won't go into the details of the back and forth, but there were attempts to overturn the law that created a lot of chaos. And during that time, a contact from the city reached out to me and said that if we, I think it was about a month ago, and said that if we ever, at any time, wanted to open a safe outdoor space, we had to apply that week, like in two days. And they also said that applying did not obligate us to open it. It just kept the possibility available to us. So after conversation with Angelo and Michaela, I put a quick and dirty application in knowing that we didn't have to move forward with it if we didn't feel like it was right for us. So let me give you the bare bones description of what the application calls for. The outdoor space would be in the parking lot of the Vanguard building, which is formerly known as the ARC building. It wouldn't take the whole parking lot. It would be for people who are living in their cars, 10 cars. It would operate from 7 at night until 7 in the morning. The area would be fenced in. Participants would be screened prior to their staying there. Bathrooms, showers, and hand-washing stations would be provided. There would be overnight security. So these are the broad strokes. The application hasn't been approved yet. If it does get approved, we'll begin a much more thorough process of discussing this project among the church leadership and finding funding and finding partners to support the work, only if and when these things are in place, will we decide to go forward? So here's the big takeaways that I hope folks will hear. The application hasn't been approved yet. The program has a very long way to go before becoming a reality. And there are many reasons why we might end up not doing it. There are many, many details that aren't clear yet. So for most of the questions that people have, my answer will be some variation on, I don't know, or it depends. And I'm sorry for that, but that is the honest answer. So I ask that folks be patient while we work this out and don't leap to any conclusions. And don't let anybody outside our church leap to any conclusions. And if you're on the fence about the value of safe outdoor spaces, let me share some of my testimony from the city council meeting. So I spoke about the unsanctioned encampment that sprung up next to our church property, that was about three months ago, and I compared it to the sanctioned and supervised encampment that we are proposing. And I said, my question to the council is, what kind of encampment do you want in this city? You have to choose, and the choice no encampments is not an answer. We cannot live in the fantasy that making the camps illegal will make them go away. So I ask you, give safe outdoor spaces a chance. That's the end of my testimony. I also, as we talk about this among ourselves, I also ask that we be careful not to use us and them language as we talk about people who don't have housing. There are members of this congregation, our people who are unhoused or have been unhoused or don't have stable housing. When we talk about people for whom housing is an issue, we're talking about us. Let me repeat that. When we talk about people for whom housing is an issue, we're talking about us. So this is not charity from on high. It is us looking out for each other. It is us because our liberation is bound up together. Our theologies are driven by many things, but our principles, our seven principles, are fundamental. And as we move forward as a faith community, let's always remember to affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every individual and affirm justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Our liberation is bound up together by our theology, the theology that we create together. May it be so.
3: In a moment, we'll collect the offering, pooling our financial resources to
1: serve the common good more than any of us could do alone. Our Change for the Future recipient for September, October, and November is Art Street. Art Street is a community art studio used primarily by people who are unhoused, operated by Albuquerque Healthcare for the Homeless. The Art Street program also provides art therapy groups with a focus on trauma at the West Side Emergency Housing Center. You can give online or mail a check to the church and include Change for the Future on the memo line. Let us now exercise the enduring power of generosity.
5: looking
2: for a sign waiting for a sign someone is listening someone is watching over me the sun is shining casting a silver lining birds are singing in the trees bells are ringing i am free and still i can't Right in front of me. It's love, 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 love is watching over me. You need to guess who's got my back. I will never lack as love is
5: asleep.
2: Love is watching over me.
5: Are you looking
2: for a son? Someone is listening, someone is watching over you. Raise your gaze, look all around you. Chomp.
3: What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian and thank you on behalf of Art Street. As we continue engaging with today's message, you are invited to consider a question together. As we are considering our shared theology, what do we cherish together? After the service today, you can join us in breakout rooms for this discussion question or visit our virtual connections Sunday, this will be a separate zoom meeting from this one just click click on the link in the chat. I invite you to change from speaker to gallery view so that you can see one another, while we do our Pacham greeting you are invited to place one hand over your heart and extend the other toward your community. And in this way, we are reminded of our connection to one another.
0: Let's extinguish our chalices here and at home. And as we do so, remember that our liberation is bound up together by our theology. Go in peace and practice radical love.